This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Morning, Word of Grace. So glad that you're here at church today. It is going to be just an awesome day. We hope that the rain holds off for our church picnic later on uh, this afternoon and hope you can make it out for that. Last week, we kicked off our brand new series going through the book of Romans, and we made it all the way to verse 7. So this week, we're shooting for verse 17. So we're shooting for nine more verses. Maybe we'll make it. Let's keep our fingers crossed, all right? Uh, And so anyways, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to go to the book of Romans and um, to the very first chapter, Romans chapter 1. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen to it because I laid out a lot of the foundational introductory things to the book of Romans, kind of who it was written to, what it was about, all of those types of things, as well as talked about the meaning of being called and separated for the purposes of God. So we're going to take this a little bit further this week. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this title down, The Fruit of Grace. We're going to talk about that today. And in the book of Romans, chapter 1, let's go ahead and read verse 1. What? I thought you said we made it to verse 7 last time. That's right, we did. But guess what? We're going to start at verse 1 again. All right, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace. Look at somebody and say grace. Oh, no, look at somebody like you in church today and say grace. That's right. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name, among whom you all are also called of Jesus Christ. Now, here's Paul writing to the Romans, and he lets them know that we have received grace. And we know that if the church in Rome has received grace, we also know that the church in Sheboygan Falls has received grace. Amen, somebody. We have been recipients of His grace. He acknowledges this here, that we both are recipients of grace. The body of Christ is recipients of this thing called grace. And it's one of these church words sometimes that gets thrown around, that gets used, but we may lose the meaning. So let's clarify what exactly is grace. What are we talking about when we say grace? Grace is unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. Plain and simple. It is unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. It is giving someone, instead of what they earned or what they deserved, it's giving them something that was completely undeserved, something that was completely unearned. And when God gives us His grace, when He gives us His mercy, His love, these are not things that we have earned. These are not things that we have strived to find ourselves worthy of. And we've been knighted by God because we've done some great deeds and good things. No, this is a free gift that he has given. And here's the thing about grace. It's most needed and best understood in the midst of sin, in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of brokenness. Because in our world, we live in a world of earning and deserving and merit. And earning and deserving and merit only result in judgment. When we try to earn something, when we try to deserve something, we get judged based on how well we did. We get judged based on our performance. But grace is not like 
that that can be earned, which results in judgment. Grace is a gift of God. And in the midst of sin, in the midst of suffering and brokenness, that's when we realize we need it best. Because how many of us have reached and stretched out our hand towards God in times of suffering? We've gone, God, I need you. Everything's blowing up. Everything's falling apart. In the middle of recognizing my sin, in the middle of being broken from my pride, I've shared with you how I grew up in a type of church and belief system that was very prideful. And we thought that we had all the answers and no one else knew as much as we knew. And we were so smart and we were so righteous and holy because of our knowledge. And we just had these big giant heads walking around full of knowledge but very little application. And the way that we were in that church was that we thought we had all of the revelation of Scripture and everyone else was, well, they were good little Christian people, but we, our church, man, we had the answer. And that's how I grew up in that type of mindset. And when God showed me the error of that, and He showed me my pride, and He showed me my sin, and, that, and it broke me, I reached out and realized my need for grace. And that's when I received grace best, is when I realized my need for it. That's why everyone needs grace. The Bible says judgment kills, but grace makes alive. You see, grace is the opposite of karma. Karma is the Eastern religion that would teach and would preach and would try to get us to believe that we can somehow tip the scales of justice if we do enough good deeds. Or if we did something bad, then if we inherit something bad, it's because we did something bad to someone else. You cut someone off in traffic, so you blow a tire five minutes down the road. Well, I guess that's just bad karma. That's not how God works. That's not God punishing you for doing something bad. That's not God going, see, told you, you shut up, mm, listen to me, mm, karma on you. That's not how it works in the eyes of God. How God operates is He gives grace. In other words, you get what you didn't deserve instead of getting what you deserved. Instead of your tire blowing off, but blowing out because you were a jerk to somebody in traffic, you still keep driving on. That's grace. Not getting what you deserve. But so many times in our lives, we have this approach towards God that we can tip the scales of justice that are against us. So we calculate all the wrong we've done in life, and we feel pretty rotten about it, and we feel pretty bad about all the wrong we've done. But maybe, just maybe, I can do enough good to kind of offset the scales. And then if I do enough good, then God will go, hmm, He's done more good things than He has bad things. I guess I'm going to give Him a little something, you know, bless Him. And that's how we look at God. And we think that that's how it works. Because we're very much a rewards-based culture that thinks that we're striving for something that you could never earn, that you could never deserve. Because then it doesn't become grace. It becomes judgment. And let me tell you, people say this kind of stuff all the time. They say, oh, don't judge me. God knows my heart. And we say that like it's a positive thing. Friend, that is a scary statement. I would rather you judge me than God because he knows my heart. This past weekend, Pastor Stephen um, and Katie got married and I performed their ceremony. And as I was performing their ceremony, he wanted me to preach the gospel in his wedding. So there you go. I got my preach on. And here I am preaching the gospel at his wedding. And one of the things that I said in the wedding, in the, in the wedding ceremony, was that grace is something that we're always realizing our need of because the closer we get to a person, the closer we get to an individual, the more we realize how flawed they really are. 
Husbands and wives, amen, right? The more you get to know your spouse, the more you realize how flawed we truly are. And that's why in marriage, you need grace daily, hourly, minutely, secondly, microsecondly. You need grace. I need grace. We need to be dispensers of grace that never run out because the more you get to know somebody, the more you realize, man, you really need some grace. And they realize, you know, and, and your spouse realizes you really need some grace. Your children really need some grace. And it's this unconditional love that doesn't get what I deserve because sometimes I say and do things that, you know what, the love that I receive from my wife as a result of that, it, you know, I go, man, I really need to work this karma thing. But if I try to do that, then I'm not operating in grace, I'm operating in works. But she continues to give grace despite all of my frailties, despite all my failures. She despite, she, d- despite all of my things that I do, she continues to pour out that grace and mercy and love. And that's how God is. That's what His grace truly is. We have received grace through faith. If you have your Bible, I want you to just kind of put a bookmark or a gum wrapper or something right there in Romans so you won't miss it. And go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's flip over because we're going to go right back to Romans. So as soon as we're done reading this in Ephesians, I want you to flip right back over to Romans chapter 1. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. How have we been saved by grace? Through through faith. That's correct. Through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from your works, lest any man should boast. He said, listen, you have been saved by grace through faith, and that's not even something you did yourself. The faith that you have even is, is not something you conjured up. Faith in itself, each man has been dealt the measure of faith as a gift of grace from God for you to even have the ability to receive grace and to believe in Jesus. Everyone on the planet has been dealt that measure of faith. Everyone has the ability from the grace of God to recognize how awesome He is and how great and beautiful the free gift of grace is, but not all receive it. But you have faith to receive grace. So how do we get that? In the book of Romans, chapter 10, the Bible says that grace is received by faith. Let's listen to this here. Romans chapter 10 And verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how are they going to call on Him who they haven't believed? And how are they going to believe on Him who they haven't heard? How are they going to hear without a preacher? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He said, listen, somebody's got to preach, somebody's got to teach, somebody's got to share the truth, somebody has to share the gospel in order that you can have the faith to receive grace. Because grace is received by by faith. But you've got to have your faith stirred and grown and built by doing what? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So faith comes by hearing, so that means grace cannot be received unless the gospel of grace 
is being taught, unless the gospel of grace is being heard by your ears, unless the gospel is being presented to you. So our faith grows as we understand and grow and hear his word so we can receive and understand and be gripped with a greater degree of his grace. Now, does that mean that he's pouring out a greater measure of his grace? No, he's already poured out grace in fullness by giving his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. It just means that you and I realize how beautiful and how big it is and how much we need it and depend on it. So that's what we grow in. That's what you and I grow in is our understanding of our need for grace. And you remember in verse 5 in Romans chapter 1, he said, We have received grace. We have received grace. Grace. So let's check this out here. Let's pick up from where we left off last week. We read verse 7, so let's go straight to verse 8. Paul's still introducing himself to the church in Rome, and he's writing to them about his upcoming visit. He's never met these people before, and he's excited to preach to these guys for the very first time. Romans 1 and verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all you guys, for y'all. I think that's what it says there. And your faith, he says, your faith, is spoken of throughout the whole world. Isn't that cool? Paul says, hey, I'm excited to come preach to you guys and meet you guys because you guys are showing the fruit of a life that has received grace. You guys are producing some awesome fruit in your church because you obviously get grace, which means that they have heard the gospel message preached, right? Because if their faith has been stirred, if they've received grace, that means they've heard it. Because remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they've heard the gospel. They've got the gospel. They have grown in their understanding of grace. It has been broadened to the point of it is producing fruit in their lives, in their church, to the point that it's known throughout the world. I've heard about you guys. You're, you're, you guys got great faith. I've heard about you guys all throughout the world. You guys get the gospel. You guys understand grace, and you're showing the fruit of grace that Galatians 5 talks about. You guys are producing that kind of fruit in a way that it's become known, and it's reached my ears, and it excites me to actually get to meet you guys and to, and, and to share with you and to, and to share the word with you. So this is what he continues to say. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I've been praying for you guys. I've been thinking about you. Verse 10, making requests, if by some means now at at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. We believe the same thing. We both understand grace. We both understand the gospel. We both have received the gospel and we're producing fruit from our understanding of the gospel. So I want to be encouraged by you all as well. Verse 13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, for I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And when I read that, I literally stopped my studying and I said, what? I said, what? What did he just say? Wait, 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 wait. Roll back just a minute. Remember verse 8? You guys are famous. I've been hearing about all the awesome stuff that God's doing through you in your church. You guys obviously understand the gospel. You guys obviously understand the message of grace because you're producing fruit. That's how I know you get it. There's fruit in your church. There's fruit in your body. And then in verse 15, he says, I'm coming to Rome. 
to preach to you the gospel? That made me scratch my head because I'm thinking, come on, Paul's coming to preach to the Bible-believing, faith-preaching, devil-stomping, Jesus-talking, blood-bought saints of the living God in Rome, somebody? He's, he's coming to preach the gospel to these? Seriously, Paul? Seriously? We've already received grace. Remember what he said in verse 5? You have already received grace. So he's preaching the gospel in order that they may have their faith stirred so they can receive grace. But yet he goes on and says, Your faith has been known throughout the whole world, and I can't wait to come to you so I can preach the gospel? He didn't say, I was coming to try to get all of the lost people saved. He said, I'm coming to you, the church in Rome, to preach the gospel. There might be some lost people there who receive it for the very first time. But he said, I'm actually encouraged to come to you, speaking to the church, so I can preach to you who've already heard it, who've already got it, who are already producing fruit of it, the gospel. And when I read that, I said, what? You see, in our Americanized church once we think we've got something, once we think we understand something, we kind of look for what next? Okay, I got that. I, 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 I've got gospel. I've got Jesus. I've got grace. I understand all that. I don't have to hear this message. Don't you know how long I've been saved? Don't you know how long I've been in church? Don't you know how many times I've read the Bible through frontward backwards? Just for fun, once I read it backwards. Don't you know that I am a student of the Greek and the Hebrew? Don't you know that... I have done this and done that, and I have served and done this, and I've preached and I've taught. Don't you know that I've done? And you mean that you're coming to us to preach the gospel? You see, in America, in our mindset, when we hear something like that, we would think that if Paul the Apostle were coming to preach to us, that he was going to become promoting his new book that he wrote, Paul's Prison Prayers. Ten jail door-shaking prayers that literally break chains in your life. Pass them out to your friends in the penitentiary. I mean, we would think that that's why he was coming, to promote his best-selling book, you know, How to Survive Snake Bites and Shipwrecks. And we would think that he was coming to teach us something other than the gospel. That almost sounds too simple. But yet, the church in Rome was jazzed that Paul was coming there. They were pumped that Paul was coming there to preach the gospel, which they obviously already understood which they obviously already were producing fruit of because their faith had been stirred to good works to receive grace because they had heard it and they were doing well in it. This church was on fire and he's going to come and preach the gospel. This is why they were excited. This is why they got excited about hearing the message of the gospel from the Apostle Paul because they understood something. We never stop growing in grace. Oh, I'm going to say that again. We never stop growing in grace. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. 2 Peter is one of those tricky ones to find. 2 Peter 3, page 1778 in my Bible. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Peter says this after actually talking about Paul. He says this, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter said, grow in grace. 
So apparently, when I obtain grace, when I obtain an understanding of being able to receive grace, it's not just a one-time thing, one and done, thank you for that inoculation that you just gave me of grace. No, it's something that we grow in. We grow in grace and knowledge. Peter said, grow in this stuff. You see, the reason we grow in grace And the more we grow in grace is so we can learn to rest in the finished work of Christ. Because guess what, folks? If you're trying to live your life controlling everything, there is no rest in control. None. Control is a quest that is completely dependent upon you. Rest is not a passive position. But rather, it's an active basis, an active position that depends on God. Because if I don't understand grace, I will never be able to rest. Think about that. Think about control and how people who try to control everything spend their entire lives and never have rest. All the things that I can't control, all the things I'm afraid I'm going to lose, so I'm trying to control and manipulate all these circumstances around me, you are a nervous wreck. There's these people that tell me, I wake up at 4 in the morning. I'm like, I don't even know what 4 in the morning looks like on my alarm clock. Seriously? 4 in the morning? Oh, yeah, and I go to bed at 2. Get my two-hour power nap. I'm like, seriously? You get your two-hour power nap, and you're living this way? And sometimes people do that in order to control things in their lives. Because they feel that they don't have enough hours in the day. And so they feel the need to overwork themselves in order to try to maintain some sort of control. And because you're trying to spin your wheels, trying to control everything in your life, you're keeping Red Bull in business, and you're keeping Folgers and Starbucks in business. But let me tell you something, you have no rest. If you're always worried about what other people think about you, you're toiling, you're tossing in your bed every single night because you're worried about finances or, jo- or your job or whatever the case may be. You're worried about things that you cannot control. And when you worry about things you can't control, you have no rest. You're tossing and turning. You're miserable on the inside. Maybe you've even become someone else to other people in order to try to appease them or satisfy them, and you are disgusted with who you've become because you're denying who you really are. And you're not able to rest. You're carrying around all of these burdens that you have piled upon yourself because you are trying to control your life. You're trying to fix yourself. You're trying to make everything happen the way you want it to happen and you are not going to sleep until you accomplish that task. You can't rest. You see, Jesus said it like this. He said, come and follow me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, I will give you the peace that passes all of your understanding. It's going to guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. You see, I give you peace. I give you rest. How do we get that peace and that rest when I understand grace and learn to depend on Him? You see, God gives me the grace that I need. And the fruit of grace is growth. It's not just this steady plateau thing where I get saved and I just try to figure life out and hope Jesus helps me along the way. No, I'm growing and knowing Him more so I can grow in my understanding of grace, so I can grow in rest, so I can grow in the fruitfulness in my life, and ultimately so my life can bring glory to God. You can't bring glory to God when you're spinning 
trying to control everything in and of yourself because any results you produce, you get to take credit for it. You get to say, well, the reason I have this and I'm able to do this is because I'm awesome. And you think you're great and you think you've got it all figured out and instead of you resting, you're exhausted. You may have accomplished some things in life, but you haven't accomplished them for the glory of God. You've accomplished them so people will think you're something. So, you'll, so others will look at you and think, oh, you're significant, or you, you're really an important individual, or you really have your life together, instead of learning to f- rest in the finished work of the cross and let that fruit come about naturally, because when it comes about naturally, it's going to be more authentic, it's going to be better, it's going to be better produced fruit instead of some man-made version or variation that kind of looks like it, but it's really not the real deal, and it's really not going to last. It's going to wither up and dry out pretty quick because it's all dependent upon you and your efforts. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says this. Paul goes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's that faith word again. The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in grace. That's how you're justified. The just shall live by faith in grace. That's what he's been talking about this entire time is coming to them with the gospel of grace. And for you and I to be justified in the eyes of God, for us to be in right standing in the eyes of God, we have to be recipients of grace because we'll never be justified by our own works. Because then we get the credit and all the glory goes to God. Amen? Amen. And because all the glory goes to God, the just can only live by faith in grace. Not faith in myself. Not faith in my own good works. Not dependent upon me and how good I can be and how well I can perform. But completely and totally dependent upon His grace. You see, that's where our faith is directed. It's directed towards the grace of God. That's the fruit of the gospel is growing in grace. That's why Paul was going to Rome to preach the gospel to people who had already heard it because grace is a lifestyle. Grace is something that you and I continually grow in and experience and understand. Our, our, the way we receive grace, our tank for grace, increases the more we realize our need for it. If we live the rest of our lives thinking that we don't need it and we're good and we've already got that, let's move along, then we're missing the whole point of Christ. We're missing the whole point of even Christ coming to this earth. We're missing the Bible from front to back if we think that we have arrived at a place where we no longer need to grow in grace. We need to grow in the way we receive it, and then what happens as a result of the receiving of grace? We grow in the way that we give it. We grow in the fruit of grace. It changes our heart, and it changes our lives because we realize we need it. We live the rest of our lives thinking we're hot shots and we're good and we don't need this stuff and we've already heard this then we're not increasing our capacity to receive the fullness of grace that He has poured out for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The more this increases, folks, it's going to change your heart and change your life because here's what it does. A true understanding of grace redirects what I value and it changes my behavior to give glory to God. 
a true understanding of grace. It redirects my value. But see, all my values are stored at the very core of who I am, what I truly believe, not what I say I believe. What I really believe, what I really think about things, that is stored at the very core of who I am. And it's formed by a lot of different things. It could be formed by life experiences. It could be formed by what others have taught you, what they have modeled before you, what you yourself have experienced. These have all shaped what you really think. So I could say something to the, uh, to the effect of, God is good. People would go, Amen. I believe that. I agree with that. It's so... But do you really believe God is good by the way you live, by the way you behave, by the way you act? You see, we can say it because we've almost been trained to parrot some of these things, especially if you've been in church very long. But really in the core, does our life reflect that? Because if my life is going to bring glory to God, then I have to really believe this in my core. My behavior will reflect it. That's how I bring glory to God, when my behavior reflects it. Now, the problem with humanity is that we want to be in control. So we get in the control seat and we try to fix the behavior. We try to come up with all these things to do to fix behavior and to tweak behavior and to to just stand on our behavior and try to fix all of our little behaviors and our weird little quirks. And we think that if we can just get this thing just all fixed, just right, then we'll bring glory to God. But we never deal with the core issue. Thus, any attempt at you fixing behavior apart from going through the heart first is going to fail, and you're going to feel like a failure as a Christian. You're going to be like, man, that church stuff is too hard. I just can't be good enough for God. I just can't be good enough for those church people. I I guess everybody else has their life together, and, and I'm just a big failure. Because if everybody really knew what I was trying to fix, and, you know, I try to put on a smile, I try to always have, you know, hey, how you doing? Everything's good, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's, it's wonderful. Amen. Amen. Jesus. And I think of all these Christian things to say and do. And because I'm never real, I'm never authentic, I'm never vulnerable, I never let anybody know anything's going on in my life because I want them to think that I've got it all together because I think that if my behavior shows everyone that things are going well, that that really means things are going well and we're deceiving ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we can fix the heart by going behavior first. You see, behavior is a fruit of what you really believe. What you do, the way you act, the way you react, that is the fruit of what you really believe. That's why the more we receive grace, the more our behavior will change naturally to bring more glory to God. That's why faith in grace is so huge. That's why we're justified by faith in His grace. So let me give you an example of this and how our, 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 our hearts are directed towards what we value. This is a pretty common thing that I decided to share with you today. People dealing with worry. I'm worried. Let's drill down to the heart issue, okay? This is how you do this. If you ever wonder, how do I drill down to the heart issue of what's really going on? I'm worried. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling helpless. Why? Why do you feel hopeless? Why do you feel depressed? Why are you worried? Why haven't you been sleeping well at night? Well, because, because I, I'm just so stressed out. Why are you stressed out? What's your main stress? What's the main thing that's going on in your life? Well, I have all these financial woes, man. I just don't know how I'm going to pay all these bills, and and I just don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm getting collection calls, and and I'm freaking out about what I'm going to lose. I'm getting threats in the mail, and I'm getting some ugly voicemails, and and I just owe so many people, and I'm upside down, and oh, I'm just so stressed out, and, and I'm so depressed because I'm stressed out. Well, why do you have financial woes? Well, because I'm, I'm in debt, I can't pay my bills, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Why? How did that happen? Well, 
if we really get honest, here's the threshold of honesty that we could cross. Well, because I bought things that I thought I needed in order to make me happy that I really couldn't afford. Well, why did you do that? Because I'm relying on things to bring me significance. So I'm getting down to the heart issue. I'm getting down to the heart issue. I've drilled it down to the heart to where I realize, wow, the really core issue of what's going on is not the behavior. The behavior is just a result of the value. The value is I value feeling significant and I have decided in my mind, I've bought into the lie that the idol has told me that if you worship me, I'll give you significance and that idol is stuff. And so because I'm looking for meaning in life and I'm looking for significance, I go, oh yeah, I've got to have this kind of house, this kind of car, I've got to have these types of things, this big of a TV, no, that's not big enough, this big, did you see they come out with a new one the other day? Let's go get that one. And we just get bigger and better because we think we have to have these things. And I need this title and, and, and I need this kind of lifestyle and I need to eat at these types of restaurants. And because I feel like I need these things, I will kill myself in order to make these things happen and I get temporarily satisfied. <sighs> but then it's like you ate that big dinner and it felt so good going down, but when it sat there for a minute, boy, you know something bad's coming later. And that's exactly what happens in our lives when we consume, we consume, we consume, we consume, we consume, we consume. All of the things that we think will satisfy us, all the things that we think will make us feel significant, only to be left with the behavior of someone who is stressed out. And so we act stressed out. When our wife or our kids come around, we snap, we're ugly, we say stupid things we don't mean because we are reacting out of a bad belief that my significance is tied to stuff. And all this has just funneled up and it's just eventually come out. We become distant because we're stressed out, because we're angry, because all of this stuff is just piling up on me and I don't know what to do, I just need to be left alone right now. And we say and we do things like that and treat others who love us the most, sometimes the worst, because they see who we really are. Oh, God knows my heart. He sure does, sweetie. And that scares me to death. Because our hearts are enmity with God. Because we will often drift over to idol worship in order to find significance in life. And God knows that. And that's why when we realize His grace is sufficient and that Christ in Himself is sufficient, that we begin to put our faith and our hope in Christ. And we lean on Him and we trust on Him and we cling to the cross because we realize we need grace. And it changes, it redirects what I value. So bad behavior comes from the deepest part of us. It's a result. If we try to fix that in our own strength, if we try to fix that depression or we try to fix that uh, stress or that feeling helpless or whatever, we could say something like this to someone. Don't rely on things to make you happy. What does that even mean? I mean, we can say that and it's true, but it has no bearing and no weight on my heart. I can know all of these things. You could come to church for the rest of your life and hear good teaching about good things, but if your heart doesn't get changed, your behavior will never follow. Amen. You've got to stop trying to get to the heart through behavior modification. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. It's human effort. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. God changes the heart. But here's what happens. Remember, the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith in what? Grace. The just shall live by faith. 
We're justified by faith and grace. So we realize this. So the gospel fixes this entire dilemma. Let's take this same person or, or same situation as our example. How does it fix the problem of feeling worried, stressed out, hopeless, depressed? Well, here's how it fixes it. It goes straight for the heart. And instead of trying to deal with the bad results, it shows something in us. And it shows us our true need. Because worry is the result of what you really value being threatened. What you really value being threatened produces worry. So what you're tossing around at night about, what you're losing sleep over, what you're treating your loved ones poorly over, is it reveals something in your heart, reveals some some woundedness, it reveals some brokenness, it reveals some hurt or some anger or some unforgiveness. And what it reveals in your heart is that your behavior has become a result of the fact that you haven't dealt with this core issue, you haven't received grace, you haven't increased your capacity for receiving grace in this area. Because every time that what you really value gets threatened, those behaviors will bubble up. In this case, significance is what I value because I really don't feel significant and I'm depressed as a result of my significance being threatened. You see that? You see, in other words, I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose. I'm afraid that my significance is being threatened if I don't have certain things, if I don't wear certain types of clothes, drive certain kind of cars, have certain things. So I will try to feel that in order to feel that value and that worth and that significance. So that's what's really important to me. And when I feel that being threatened and I feel like somebody's going to find out about me, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like someone's going to find out that I really have poorly mismanaged my money or I have really done this poorly in life that people are not going to think the same of me and I'm going to lose relationships and they're going to not think I'm important anymore and they're going to find out this about me and we worry, worry, and worry. So we try to float this false persona and we try to float this mask of who other people think we are because we value that more than we do healing and wholeness. And so here's the fix for this dilemma. Jesus is the treasure you've been looking for because you are broken, lost, and hopeless on a quest in life to try to find meaning, significance, and satisfaction from yourself. Because you cannot fix yourself. You cannot save yourself. And actually, your quest in and of itself is a result of sin. Sin that is against a holy God and whom laws you have broken. We are not good people. No, not one. We have cursed God's name. We have violated His commands. And in His justice, His holiness and His righteousness are deserving of death. But... The gospel steps in and says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He counted you significant to himself because God so loved the world that he gave his only son to take the punishment that you and I deserved. That's grace. That's good news. That is the gospel. And then all of a sudden I realize Christ has taken my punishment and now I'm justified by faith in the eyes of God. I begin to find my significance through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I live that way by faith. And that's where my need and my value gets redefined 
defined. That's when I realize what I need to put my faith and my hope and my trust in is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why the world did not give me Jesus and the world cannot take away Jesus. The world can take away everything from me but Jesus. They can throw me in prison, take away my freedom. They can take away my cars, my home. They can take my family away from me. They can steal everything that is precious to me on this earth, but they can't take the one thing I need, and that's Jesus Christ. They can't take him because they didn't give him. It didn't come from them. So the world has no power or control to take Jesus from me. That's why you can see Paul having the conviction of being able to do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's why even after the beatings and the torture, he still would stand up and go preach and proclaim the gospel under threat of death because he knew the one thing he needed could not be taken away from him. That's why it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. That's why I understand I've been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus that has paid the penalty for me to be in right standing with God. And it has nothing to do with my efforts. Even the faith I had to believe and receive it was a gift of grace. This has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. And we realize that he's all we need. Guess what happens? (gasps) I can rest. I can rest in the finished work of the cross. I can rest in the goodness of the gospel. I can often drift back into idol worship and idol dependency where I think that those idols will give me what I need because they come whispering and promising all of these things. But these things are only found in Christ because Christ truly is all you need. He is truly all you need. He said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. You see, He wants you to have life and life abundantly. So anything that this world may threaten or pressure... They can't steal the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given you through his death, burial, and resurrection and his grace that he has poured out by while we were yet sinners, him dying and taking our sin, our punishment, our chastisement that brought peace upon us. He took that, is what Isaiah said. The chastisement that brought you and I peace was upon him. Peace that flows like a river out of me that I understand My need for grace. I understand my need for the gospel. You see, all we need is Jesus because He is all-sufficient. Amen, somebody? He is all-sufficient. Jesus Christ is not lacking anything. Anything at all. You see, the righteousness of God is revealed through Jesus Christ in you. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ is revealed in you because it shows that someone who has rejected God, someone who drifts towards their flesh and towards idol worship, someone who abandons and, 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 and will oftentimes take for granted the good free gift of Jesus Christ, that he still pours out his grace and love towards them and still reminds us It is by grace that you are sitting here today being reminded of your need for grace. It is His grace that does that. 
Because a lot of us walked in today with this idea that I'm going to hear some life hacks on how to do better at life so I can do life 2.0 and Jesus can hold my hand and just help me walk through life instead of Jesus picking me up, carrying me on his shoulders because I realize I need him. I need him that much. It's not my efforts plus Jesus' efforts. We hold hands and we walk through life together and we just kind of help one another out. I do a little for him, he does a little for me. I do a little for him, he does a little for me. No, it's me completely depending on him. And me going, no, Jesus, I need you. And I'm going to depend on your grace. That's why the more I get to know him, the more I realize my need for grace, the more it wrecks my heart and shows me how my values have been misdirected. And it causes me to repent. And it causes me to have a change of heart to where I cling to the cross, where I realize, man, I've really been looking at myself as the answer. Wow, I've really been trying to control this situation in life. Well, I need to repent for that. Jesus, forgive me. I, I, I realize and recognize that your grace is sufficient. I realize that your mercies are new every morning. I realize that this is all about you, and I want my life to bring glory to you. And for that to happen, I've got to step out of the way and let Jesus shine through me. I've got to let his righteousness shine through me. Therein, the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals to us the grace of God that doesn't give us what we deserve, but instead gives us what we need. And when I have everything I need, what can I do? I can rest. When I have everything I need, I can rest. The problem is, what do you think you need? Jesus said, Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. He said, if you seek what's important, everything else is going to be taken care of. You can rest when you have everything you need, can't you? You can rest. A lot of our rest is dependent on how much money we've got in our checking account, how much money we've got in our savings account, whether our house is clean or not, whether the dog's fed or not, whether the children are fed. Did you guys remember to bring your kids today? All those different things we worry and we stress out about. We worry about everything just has to be so-so in our lives, in our homes, in order for us to be able to rest, and that should not be the case. Those things should not be contingent upon my rest. My rest should be found in the finished work of Christ. Am I saying don't take responsibility for your homes and your lives and your finances? Absolutely not. You better do those things because that's actually fruit of your heart being directed toward Jesus. Because he teaches us how to do those things and instructs us on how to do those things. And we do those things willingly because we understand his grace and we want our lives to glorify him. But we don't do those things in order to find rest. We don't try to make sure we have everything buttoned up in life in order to find rest. I can rest when everything is falling apart. That's why Jesus could sleep in the boat in the middle of the storm. Because in himself, he was complete. He wasn't going, oh no, What's, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He was asleep. What's Jesus doing? There's a storm out here, man. He's asleep. Why is he asleep? This is the Son of God, man. He's asleep. He's wake up. Jesus, we're going to die. He goes, oh, oh, what did you say, man? I was in the middle of an awesome dream. Okay, you have little faith. Peace be still. Going back to bed. Why was he not worried? Why was he not stressed out? Because he's all sufficient. He's all sufficient. He has everything that he needs. There's nothing to stress out about, nothing to worry about, because what's the worst thing that could happen? Jesus said it like this. He said, what can man do unto you? He said, what can he do? He can kill your body? Promotion. 
He can't kill your soul. He said, don't fear him. He said, instead, you need to walk in holy fear from the one who can both kill body and soul. He said, you need to walk in fear and reverence of God. You need to take him seriously. Don't live the rest of your life in fear of man. Don't, don't live the rest of your life fearing judgment of man. We say things to other people like, don't judge me. No, actually, I would rather you judge me because you're not as holy as God, and so your judgments are not going to be near as hard as God's. So I need some help. I would rather you judge me than God unless I have someone else who's already paid my penalty. And the one who's already paid my penalty is Jesus Christ. And when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my past. He doesn't see my shame. He doesn't see all of the dead works that have been produced as a result of my sin. No, he sees the blood of Jesus that was spilled for me that was the final payment for my sin and for your sin. And he said, he's right in the eyes of God because of me. Because my grace is sufficient to cover all of their sin, to wash them white as snow. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen, somebody? Paul was preaching the gospel to the already converted Romans because not only does the gospel bring us to the cross, it keeps us there. Paul said this is a lifestyle, not a one-time event. And for you to be just in the eyes of God, you must live by faith in the gospel and rest in the grace of God. Because that's our job, is to trust and rest. We live by faith by growing in those two things. Trust and rest. Trusting in the finished work of the cross and resting in grace. It will change your heart. It will then, as a result, change your behavior. It will alter the way you think. It will alter what you value. The fruit of grace is trust and rest. And out of those two things flows a life that brings glory to God. A life that produces love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's the evidence of the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. That the fruit of the Spirit of God on the inside of you is producing in your life, not to bring you glory, not so everyone can look at how spiritual you are, but so it points to Jesus and brings glory to God. Because Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, when He comes, He's only going to speak of me and He's going to point everybody to me. He's not going to bring glory to Himself. He's going to point people to Jesus. And so if the evidence of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in your life has happened through you receiving grace by faith, through hearing the gospel, through hearing the word of God, and you grow in that understanding and your capacity for grace has increased because you realize your need for it, then your life is going to naturally produce the fruits and the works that are going to bring glory not to you but to God. For you're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Amen, somebody. So I want to ask you this morning, have you put your trust in Jesus? As we made it all the way to verse 17 today. That the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And how you live, how you walk daily by faith is clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ by realizing your need for Jesus Christ. That's why Paul knew it was important to get to Rome to preach the gospel. And that's why the Romans were glad to hear it. They weren't disappointed with Paul's message, I can guarantee you. They weren't yawning in Paul's message because, oh, we've heard this before. Don't you know we're the superstar church? No, he was preaching Jesus is all we need. 
And when you realize that, when you recognize that, it causes you to rest. Maybe some of you are in this place this morning and you're in a place of turmoil and you need some rest. You need some peace that passes your understanding that's going to guard your heart. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.